good morning, everybody. All right, let's stand if you would. We're going to uh, worship the Lord. We're going to ask the Lord to build our kingdom right here. We don't have to, many of us get saved. We think we're waiting on uh, heaven. Guess what? Uh, we want to build God's kingdom right here, right now. Amen. And so we're going to start with build your kingdom here. Let's sing it. Come set your rule and reign. Sing it out. In our hearts again, increase in us we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. For we are your church, amen. We need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives for your our joy and prize. To see the captive hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor in peace. We lay down our 
mindset because the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. Let's sing it out.
fighting this morning, but I can tell you this, God is able to go before you and to fight all your battles, amen. Hey, let's uh, put a smile on this morning, turn and tell somebody you're glad to see them. Let's have a time of fellowship, greet one another uh, in the Lord, if you would, and then we're going to continue to worship in just a moment. find your place and you can be seated for just a moment. That's some good fellowship going on right there. Amen. All right. Everybody find your place. Uh, if you would, you can be seated. Got just a few announcements this morning. Amen. Uh, first off, any visitors in the house? Anybody a first time visitor this morning? We just want to give you a card to fill out. Uh, you are not a first time visitor, girl. No, <laughs> trying to fool the old preacher, amen. You can't do it, bless God. All right, um, no visitors this morning. Bring some visitors with you. Summer is over, amen. Now, I know it's really not officially over till you get past Labor Day, uh, but I'm declaring it officially over, amen. As you can see, some people are not here. They still think it's summer, amen. So you can tell them summer is over, all right? Get back in church. We do need to pray, however, there's lots of sickness going around. I think everybody went back to school and uh, uh, sneezed on each other or uh, got too close to each other, and uh, there's just a lot, of, a lot of upper respiratory stuff going around, everything going around, so please pray for all of our sick folks to get well, all right? Uh, don't forget, every Wednesday, we have a wonderful uh, all-day thing going on on, uh, on Wednesday. If Wednesday morning, we have a Wednesday morning Bible study that happens from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., and we want to invite you to come. If you've never come, come on, try it, amen? Now, if you got a job, go work your job, amen? Uh, but if you're not working on Wednesday morning from 10 to 11, uh, there's no better place to be. And what better way to spend your free time in the Word of God, amen? So you come and join us. There's usually a, a dozen or so of us. And if you want to bring donuts, we will eat them. Uh, that has been proven, all right? Uh, then Wednesday night, we have a, a full slate of things. Miss Mary cooks us a wonderful dinner, and uh, get many helpers on that. Yes, thank you to all of our helpers that help on Wednesday night. And uh, so come, uh, meal at 6 o'clock, at 7 o'clock. We have a youth service in here, kids service in the middle, and uh, adult service uh, in the, uh, in the uh, fellowship hall. And uh, we're working. You've noticed we've got forms set out here. We're trying to get them moving. Uh, construction's running. Uh, everybody in construction running about two, three months behind right now. But uh, we're uh, getting a, a building back here, and then our, our children will be able to go out there on Wednesday nights and have their own space. So God's good. Amen. Let's pray for good weather and that uh, they can finish all that up. All right. Um, Sunday school at 10 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, come an hour earlier. It, will not, it won't kill you. Amen. I promise you it won't kill you. And uh, either, either I'm teaching it or uh, Brother Martin's teaching it or, or somebody good's always teaching it. So it's always good. 
we need help, uh, volunteers for bed babies. Uh, we uh, recognized Miss Barbara last uh, last week. She's uh, uh, retiring from that. Uh, she's done it for years and years and years. But we need somebody to step up and help us on the bed babies. We don't have a, a lot of bed babies, but we need somebody there uh, for to take care of them when they're here. So if you can uh, help with that and uh, step in the place and help uh, take place of Miss Barbara, come see me, all right? Also, uh, always need help with children and toddlers. Uh, you can see Miss Cindy Bryant or Ginger Metz if you can help with that. Uh, also, always need help on the cleaning crew. Y'all sure do need a lot of help. Guess what? You're exactly right. Amen. It takes a lot of volunteers to make all this happen every week. Miss uh, Kate, raise your hand. She's the uh, heads of our cleaning crew. That's so we don't have to pay somebody uh, to come in here. And uh, about once a month is all you got to do if you sign up for it. So see Miss Kate if you can help. Uh, men, we need men, uh, but women, if you're tough women too, uh, but it's hot out there, uh, we need some help uh, with the uh, yard work. Uh, so you can see Brother Brother, Carrie, uh, Brother Gary Curry back there. Raise your hand, Brother Gary. Uh, or you can see me, and if you can help with that, all right? Um, let me see. Oh, today... We need some help. We need a couple of strong backs uh, to help Miss Ginger. Miss Ginger, we're uh, kind of switching rooms because she's had so many, again, God's blessed us with so many little kids and toddlers. Uh, she's switching rooms to the bigger room uh, from the nursery. Uh, they're switching those rooms, and so we need help, uh, the big um, crib thing, yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, that's mainly what we need to move. It won't take long if we can get a couple, three strong backs to help move that crib to the other room. And uh, so help her, see her, and help her after right after church, all right? Uh, ladies' Fellowship's been rescheduled for Miss at Miss Diana Joe's house. Raise your hand, Miss Diana, if you need uh, directions. But it's a little ways out there. We're going to take the church van. Uh, Miss Julie's going to drive the church van. There's a sign Is the sign-up sheet still back there? Okay. Uh, there is not a sign-up sheet back there, but we'll get it out there next week. Uh, that's been rescheduled for September the 10th. That's a Saturday night. And we'll get the sign-up sheet on there so you ladies can uh, uh, can sign up for that. And then life recovery class, we're doing that today at 2. Yep, today at 2. So you have a hurt habit or hang-up, which I got bad news for you. Everybody in here has got them all. Amen. Uh, you can come at 2 o'clock. And then we need more bottled waters. Uh, you did so good. Got us all the way through summer on the bottled waters. But guess what? Uh, they've all been uh, mm -hmm, drank. Okay. So we need some more. So bring some uh, bottled water if you can. Help us... Uh, Re, uh, refuel the supply there, all right? That is all the announcements. Let's stand, if you would. We're going to continue to worship one more time uh, with Death Was Arrested. How many of you been saved in this room? I hope all of you have. Amen. See me if you hadn't yet, all right? Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope to begin Your love made a way to make mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name My morning Suffering washes over me. 
speaks better to us than we deserve. This is just that old chorus. Got some verses with it and a bridge with it, but that old chorus, God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Amen. I hope you believe that this morning.
we love you this morning. We thank you, God, that you are a good, good father. You love us. You're so good to us, better to us than we deserve. And I pray this morning that, God, we would just live in your goodness. God, may we want to live our lives pleasing and honorable to you because you've been so good to us. We love you. Thank you. Lord, just speak through your word now. We give you this time in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you've got kids for Children's Church, uh, they can head on towards the uh, uh, group over there, Miss Ginger. And uh, she's got them all this morning. I think Miss Cindy's not feeling well, so uh, Miss Ginger has them all this morning. All right. Give Brother Martin a big hand. He's going to share God's Word with you this morning. Amen. self-situated here. All right. So this morning I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to go through uh, verse 1 through 4. Uh, but the first verse that I want to share with you, um, and we'll put this one up on the, up on the screen for you, is going to be 2 Corinthians 5.10. And it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I believe it was either last week, a couple of weeks ago, maybe for the past two weeks, but I've just heard Brother Mark use that term, the judgment seat of Christ. And so... As believers, or even just as human beings or Christians, just human nature, there's a word in there that kind of triggers us, and it's called judgment. There's many in this room that we can make as many your mama jokes as we want. We can punch you in the face. We can kick you when you're down. We can do lots of things to you. And you would much rather have that than how dare somebody judge me. It's one of those things that as soon as you hear that word, as soon as I hear that word, everything just goes like, man, I am putting the scales up, the walls are going up, everything just absolutely shuts down and you are triggered. But this morning, I want to educate, I want to encourage, if not you, myself, I've heard this sermon in my head and it's really good, <laughs> about the coming judgment that we have. Whether you like it, whether you're ready, whether you want it to happen, there is a judgment coming to everybody in this room. There is a judgment coming to everybody in this world. And the first one that I want to educate you on, and I won't spend much time on this one, but it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, the judge at this judgment, his name is Jesus Christ. He will be the judge at this one, and the participants are the ones that are there at the White Throne Judgment. It is for unbelievers. It is for all those who rejected Jesus Christ, it's for all those that never put their trust in him. It is for all those that are spiritually dead 
in Christ and they will be judged and they will be eternally separated from God. They had their chance here on earth and they did nothing with him. I hope everybody in here has that taken care of. You do not want to find yourself at the great, uh, the, the great white throne judgment because if you're there, like Brother Mike used to say, little Johnny, you are too late. Your fate is sealed. Now the second judgment, or the other judgment, is the judgment seat of Christ. And again, the judge is Jesus, and the participants in this judgment are the believers. And it is going to be where all of Christ's people, everybody that put their faith in Christ, everybody that is saved, they are all in front of Jesus, and he is rewarding the fruitful service of God's children. He will be asking, actually, he won't be asking, he will be telling you, what did you do for the kingdom of God? What did you do after you gave your life to to me, what did you do after you loved me like your own soul? What did you do with that? When my people were hungry, did you feed them? When my people were thirsty, did you give them drink? When my people were, were, were naked, did you clothe them? Because the Bible is very, very explicit. Whatever you do to the least of these, you have done for me. And you can lie to yourself. You can say, well, it's the preacher's job. It's the pastor's job. It's somebody else's job. But I say it 100%, and it is true. There is something for the kingdom of heaven that you are in charge of doing. And if you don't answer the call, and if you do not step up to the plate, and if you don't do it, it's not going to get done and at the at this judgment you're going to have to answer for that and the bible says that those that answered the call they will be rewarded for their fruitful service and those that did not answer the call i don't want to be there and have nothing to show nothing to show for what i did with christ after he saved me and, and the, the scripture we just read in 2 Corinthians, it is Paul who speaks this. And if anyone needed motivation of going forward, of moving on, it had to be the Apostle Paul. It had to be him because he had been tortured, he had been beaten, he had been jailed. He had to give up everything and everyone that he knew on the road to Damascus when he was blinded, fell off the horse, and he was saved. He had a walk away from everything he knew and what he knew was that Christians are bad people and I'm here to kill them and he did a 180 and he had to walk away from everything he knew you think he didn't walk around saying man I just want to give up because you know I know that God is real and I don't want to suffer anymore and this is a little bit too hard and this is a little bit too tough and, and I, I'm just tired of taking all this abuse that I'm having in this world I'm ready to go be with my Lord and Savior what motivation do I have to keep going Anybody in here that does anything for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God, whether you clean the church, whether you, you Miss Cheryl here, she had surgery on her hand, I can't drive a bus, guess what, I'm hopping in a van and I'm making two trips. 
Brother Mark tells all the time that the preacher a lot of time doesn't want to get up here. We are discouraged. We are struggling. We are human. Just we want to give up. Whatever it is you do for God, whatever it is you do that God has gifted you, you need motivation to keep on moving forward. So if you find yourself today in a place where you know that God's called you to more, and that's most of us, I want to encourage you this morning that God wants to give you more. He wants to bless you more. And you should be motivated that one day we will all sit in front of the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus will name everything, good or bad, and you will be rewarded for what you did or you will be told you didn't do so good there. But that's not what I want to hear. I don't want to hear Oh, this is what you did, this, 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 and this, but you didn't bear any fruit. And so, here's the truth about God. We serve a God that you cannot lose your salvation. We serve a God that gives us unmerited salvation. Big word, unmerited. That means you can't pay for it. That means you can't earn it. That means there's nothing good in you to deserve salvation. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no, not enough good works, not enough good things that you can do so that you can boast, I am saved because I'm preaching. I am saved because I drive a bus. I am saved because of this. No, 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 no. God is a God of unmerited salvation. You cannot earn it. But God is not a God of unmerited reward. If you don't deserve it, if you didn't earn it, you will not be rewarded. Amen? He is a just and fair God. And to illustrate that, and again, if nothing else, encourage myself this morning. I want you to look at, at Matt, or 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. And this is what the Word of God has to say. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So a little, a little backstory about Jonathan here. Jonathan was the oldest son of King Saul. This is the first king that Israel had ever had. He is the oldest son, and therefore he is the heir to the throne. When his dad passes away, he is going to be the next king of Israel. And through no fault of his own, through nothing that he did, through the sins of his father Saul, Jonathan knows, he knows that he will never become king of Israel. 
He will never ascend to that throne that he is in line for. And instead of being jealous, instead of being hateful, instead of being of, of trying to kill everybody, instead of trying to kill the usurper David, we just read in this passage of scripture where he says twice, I love David. I love David. I love David as my own soul. Yes, he's going to be the next king. That makes zero sense. That is humanly crazy. It defies human logic. It defies human understanding. There are other people in the Bible that have wiped out whole generations of children, two years, three years, young men, wiped out because there was a rumor that there was a Savior amongst the people. There was a rumor that there was a Savior coming, and they wiped out a whole generation of people, and instead of, of, of Jonathan doing that, the Bible says that Jonathan knows who's going to take the throne. He knows who's going to take his kingdom. He knows, and he loves him as his own soul. That is mind-blowing to me. We get jealous because maybe we get one less Pringle than our brother and sister, and we give them an elbow to the face. This is a whole kingdom we're talking about here. But we don't have to examine or look very far, examine very long, to see or learn how Jonathan comes to love and believe in David, so much so that he states several times, I love David. I love David. I love him as, as myself. I love him as my own soul. And so we're going to work through uh, 1 Samuel verse, or chapter 17. I'm not going to read everything. Some of these verses you've probably heard many, many times. I just, I'm going to hit a few of them, explain them to you, and hopefully encourage you this morning. So to answer, to answer why, Jonathan, why do you feel this way about David? I want to paint you a picture. And the first uh, verse that I want to read in, in chapter 17 is verse 3. And, and read with me or, or listen to me. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So here we have a picture. We have the Philistines, who are the enemies of God's chosen people. People, the enemies of King Saul, the enemies of God's inheritance on one side camping out, and we have the Israelites on the other side camped out on another mountaintop, and in between there is a valley, and they're sitting there staring at each other, and at some point they're going to come down from the hill, they're going to go into the valley, and it's going to be, become a valley of death. They have to go down into the valley and it will become a valley of death between them. And verse 8, verse 8 talks about a guy you guys are very, very familiar with. It is a champion of the Philistines. His name is Goliath. If you've been around any kind of church whatsoever, you know Goliath was a giant. And in verse 8, it says, Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to him, Why have you come out? to line up for battle. Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me? I'm going to keep reading. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies 
of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And then verse 11 talks about the king, the king of God's chosen people. When Saul and all Israel, when all these warriors heard this, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. These people have seen miracles happen from God. These people have witnessed some amazing things. And there is a Philistine that is coming down to the valley of death. And he is calling out the people of God. And he is saying, come down here and fight me. And the one man that should be going down there, the king. And, and I want you to understand, when you, when you talk about King Saul, he wasn't any small weakling. The Bible describes him as head and shoulders above every other Israelite. He's not a small man. He is a man of stature, good-looking, muscles all over the place. This dude is a warrior. So if anybody should be willing to go down there and fight and battle, it should be the king. As a matter of fact, the Israelites, they were begging and begging and begging God, saying, we don't want your judges anymore. We don't want Samson. We don't want, we don't want those judges anymore. Give us a king like every other nation. Give us a king that will fight for us. Give us a king that will take up for us. And here we are. And the Bible says that the king shies away. The protector of Israel will not go out in battle. And his son, Jonathan, the second person that should go battle Goliath, he looks down in the valley of death as well. And he gets scared also. And he shies away and he backs. Can you imagine being in that position and you have to come back to the tent day after day and you got to put your head down and, you, and you're thinking somebody needs to go fight this guy. As a matter of fact, Saul believes that somebody should go fight this guy so much that he says, I will give them my daughter to marry. I will never tax their land again. I'll do all these things for anybody that's willing to go fight this, uh, this giant named Goliath. The other three that maybe have a reason to go down there are th David's three older brothers. He has three older brothers there with the army of God. And none of them are willing to go down to the valley of death. Israel is in need of a savior. Whether you know it or not, you are Jonathan. I am Jonathan in this story. David is a picture of Jesus. David is a picture of what Jesus, uh, of Jesus uh, foreshadowing of his coming. So for 40 days in the morning and in the evening, the Bible says that Goliath presents himself. But what he does not know, what Goliath does not know, is that in, in a field somewhere where it's unknown, unknown, unknown place, a place would, you, would never, you would never think there's a savior. There, there is a savior. It's a shepherd boy. He's tending the sheep. And his earthly father calls him one day and he says, I want you to go see your brothers. Take your brothers some food. And even though his earthly father sends him to the battle lines, it's his heavenly father that has a far greater plan than him. His earthly father sent him, but his heavenly father has a plan that's about to play out that is bigger than anything that you and I could ever imagine. 
And so David, the nobody from nowhere, shows up on the scene, and he hears Goliath curse his people, and he hears Goliath curse his God, and he sees Goliath down in the valley of death, and he sees all the men of Israel, all the warriors, cower down in fear and walk away because they're afraid of Goliath. This little 16-year-old shepherd boy is seeing all this. And if we go to verse 26 in chapter 17, this is what David's reaction is. It says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living? I don't know if you remember the story of Jesus, but when he comes on the scene, he comes from nowhere. He comes from a place where there shouldn't be a Savior coming from. He comes not with a sword. He comes with the Word of God. And he comes unannounced, unencumbered. He comes in a manner that nobody's looking for him to come. And so does David. And David calls out these, these soldiers And then when his oldest brother hears what David is saying, he gets angry and says, David, you are prideful. You do not know what you're talking about. You you just want to be here to watch the battle. And David says, I've done nothing wrong. I've done nothing, nothing wrong whatsoever. And he tells another soldier, we can defeat that guy. God is with us. And they tell him, you don't know what you're talking about. And the more Israelites that he tells that Goliath is nothing to stand up against the people of God, the more they rebuke him. Saul hears about this and he calls for David. And he tells David, you are not able to go against this Philistine. This guy's too big for you. You are just a little 16-year-old shepherd boy. When Jesus came, they did the same thing. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. David is there to save these people. David is there to overcome the giant. David is there to go into the valley of death, and the Bible says that his people did not receive him in a good manner. That's just like what uh, the people did with Jesus. Finally, Saul gives in, and he tells David, here, take my sword. It's too big. Here, take my armor. It's too big. He says, here, take my shield. It's too big. So the very person that's too afraid to go do battle is now telling David how to go do battle. What kind of sense does that make? David's like, this isn't mine. This isn't isn't for me. He puts it down. And what Saul couldn't understand, what the Israelites could not understand, was that David and God the Father had already been in this situation before. David and God the Father had already walked through this valley together. David 
was 16 years old, and he had already written a song or a poem for this. Now, I know there's some theologians that say David never really wrote anything till he was older in his years, and there's some on this side that say, no, David wrote his songs and psalms when he was younger. Well, for this one, I believe David wrote it when he was younger, or he at least lived it when he was younger, because there is a, there is a song, a poem, whatever you want to call it, and I want to share it with you, and you're going to know it by heart, but it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is saying, when I was out in the field and nobody else was there with me, when I was out in the dark, there was one with me, and his name is God. Jesus was there with me, and when the lion or the bear would come and take a lamb away, I would track that bear and that lamb down, and I would grab them by the beard. I'm trying to picture it, a bear with a beard or a lion by the beard, and I would kill them, and I would bring my lamb back. I've been in the valley of death before with the lion and the bear. I've been in the valley of death out when I'm tending my sheep. And you may not know that God is capable of doing that, but I know that when I go down there and I meet Goliath and I battle, I'm not going to battle by my power or my might. God has already shown me that he can deliver me from a lion and a bear, and this Philistine is nothing else than another lion or bear that God will kill for me. Amen? In verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For everybody else, it's a valley of death. David puts it in its right context. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And David knows that when God is with him, there's a shadow, and the only way there can be a shadow is if there's a light, and that light is Jesus, that light is God, and the shadow of a sword can't hurt you. The shadow of a man can't hurt you. When you are in the valley, you're walking through the shadow. Two of the songs that we sang today talks about the light going through the shadow. I was wondering that Brother Mark stole my notes. <laughs> if you have a shadow in the valley... It's because there's a light down there in the valley with you. And David knows this, but nobody else does. So David goes down there, and Goliath says, Am I a dog that you throw a stick? I mean, 16 years old. Y'all seen kids. They're puny. 16 years old. Or am I a dog that you send a stick? You come to me with a sword, a spear. Or Goliath comes with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. David goes with just himself. No armor. No sword, no nothing. Now, I know y'all know he picks up five smooth stones, one for Goliath, four for his brothers, but he just goes to him how he is. And David tells Goliath, you come to me with a sword, you come to me with a spear, you come to me with a javelin, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. 
The Lord does not save with a sword. The Lord does not save with a spear. The Lord does not save with a javelin, for the battle is the Lord's. He does not need those things. He's outside of those things. So I come to you with the Lord of hosts, and it's more powerful than anything you have. And I've never noticed this part, but in verse 48, in verse 48, the Bible says that David's down there and they're, they're talking mess to each other. And it says that David runs towards Goliath and the army of the Philistines. That's not fear, folks. That is some brave confidence. He runs towards Goliath. He runs towards the army of the Philistines. And he takes out a stone, and I'm sure he's preaching to himself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. And he hits that giant. The giant goes down. He's dead. He goes. He picks up a sword. Bam! Cuts his head off. Pulls him up by his head, holding the sword in the head. I know that seems gruesome, but that's what God can do with a stone and a 16-year-old boy. Amen? Amen? What's that got to do with the judgment seat of Christ, Brother Martin? Well, see, there's, a, there's another young man. His name is Jonathan. His name is Martin sometimes. And he's looking down into that valley, or he's looking at David in the valley, and he's thinking to himself, there's that man. There's that young boy. There's that young boy who took my place in the valley. It's me that should be down there. It's me that should have the trust. It's me that should be down there willing to face death. But I couldn't do it. But there was one that was willing to go into the valley of death for me. There's the man who's willing to die for me. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I don't really know him. He doesn't really know me. But there he is in the valley, killing the giant, taking my place that I rightly, that I justly belong to be there. There's my deliverer. There's my savior. God's people, the nation of Israel, all of a the sudden they have a savior. All of a the sudden they have somebody that came to deliver them. And Jonathan is so moved, so moved that the Bible again, when, what we read earlier, Jonathan says, this is my savior. This is who I put my trust in. This is my redeemer. This is who I love as my own soul. I hope you've had that experience before. I hope you can remember the day when you saw Jesus down in the valley and you knew that he paid a price that was meant for you. He paid a price that you couldn't pay. And you've put that trust, not just knowing that that's what he did, but putting your trust and saying, I accept you as my Savior. I take you as my Savior. And so Jonathan so moved, and I want to go back to verse 4 of... Um, Samuel 1, 18, verse 4. And Jonathan puts his words into action. The first part, he says, he says, I, I, want, I want to take my robe off and I want to give it to you, David. Now, 
A few weeks ago, I preached the sermon about how important the robe was in Jewish culture. But this is not even any ordinary robe. This is a robe of royal lineage. This is a robe of a prince. This is a robe, and it's basically Jonathan saying, David, I give you who I am. I give up my position for you. I acknowledge you as the next king of Israel. With my robe, when people see me, they're going to see you instead. When people pick that robe out in public, they're going to say, there goes Jonathan's robe that he gave to David because Jonathan loved him so much. He said, I give you my position in this world. The second part he gave to David is his armor. King James Version says garments, armor, garments, same thing. And he's basically saying, David, I give you all my possessions. I give you everything that I own belongs to you. Everything that I have belongs to the one that I love as my own soul. David, I don't own anything anymore because it's all yours. Because I know that I know that I know without, without a doubt that if David had not come and he had not shown up in the valley of death, Goliath would have come. And Goliath would have won. And Goliath would have stripped me of everything and taken everything that I own. But it's no longer mine. Here it is. I give it to you. The next thing that he gives David is his sword and his bow. And it's basically him saying, I'm a warrior. I use my sword for protection. I use my bow to kill, kill things, eat. I, I use all these things for my protection, but I no longer want to be protected by myself. I'm trusting you, my Savior, for my protection. I accept you as my protector. I accept you as my Savior. Jonathan is sold out. He is sold out to serve the one that saved him from Goliath. He is sold out ready to serve David. He's given him everything. Now, when we go a little bit further into the Bible, and David is a little bit older, and he starts writing about all these things, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, Jonathan is sold out for David. Just like we come to Jesus, we sell out to him. We're like, you own everything of us. We want to do so much stuff for you. We want to tell everybody about you. We're ready to charge hell with the squirt gun. We're ready to do all these things for you. Later on in the Bible, it says that David wrote about his men, his mighty men. There was about 400 men that came with him when Saul persecuted him and tried to kill him. But out of those, those four, there's 37 that David mentions by name and what they did and how they stood out and how special those 37 men are and they are rewarded by their Lord David. I'm just going to name a few of them. The first one is Jeshabim. He killed 800 men at one time with a spear. That is crazy nuts. 
but this was a mighty man of David that killed 800 men at one time in one sitting with a spear. There's Eleazar, and he fought beside David alone, side by side with David, and they fought for so long that his hand was literally grafted to a sword. They tried to go eat dinner that night at Taco Bell. He couldn't put his sword down because he fought with them for so long that he grafted his hand to the sword. That's a lot of fighting. That's a lot of trust with the person right beside you. Shammah defended a barley plot from an entire camp of Philistines. Abishai killed 300 men and the son of a giant. Benaiah killed two mighty men of Moab and an Egyptian giant. And he helped, after David passed away, he helped Solomon secure the kingdom. So as I'm reading all this, I am looking to see where Jonathan is mentioned as one of David's mighty men. Because from what we just read, he's ready to serve David. He's ready to leave everything. You own everything. I'm giving you everything. But he's not mentioned as one of David's mighty men. There's no mention of Jonathan following David. We love the Savior part. Jonathan loved that David had saved him. But we forget about the Lord part. And Jonathan forgot about the Lord part of you are my Lord. I am going to go where you go. I am going to be where you are. There's no mention of Jonathan Except for a couple times when David is being persecuted, Jonathan comes to him and he says, David, I love you. I pray for you all the time. I still think about you. It's so awesome that we're, we, we were such good friends. We were brother-in-law. David, I think about you all the time. I think about you all the time. I love you. I wish we could be closer. I wish we could hang out. That's a picture of me and you, folks. I wish I was closer to you, God. I wish, I wish, I wish, we, could, I wish we could be closer to each other. I, I wish I could do more for you. Well, you can. If we learn how to let him be Lord of our lives. But see, Jonathan, he went and picked up that bow. He went and picked up that sword from David. And he went and he followed another king, his, his father, Saul. And at the very end of his life, in 1 Samuel 31, 2, it says, Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchusha, Saul's sons. He loved the Savior part of David, but he forgot about the Lordship. That is a perfect picture of the judgment seat of Christ. If you're here this morning and you've been saved, there's more to be done. Because you and I, every single one of us, at the end of our lives, will your life just say, Brother Martin got saved, and then you read about him over here at the club that, you know, he had one too many drinks and he fell over and died? Or are you going to hear at the judgment seat of Christ that Brother Martin, he led this person to Christ and that person to Christ, and, you know, he did these things not because of him, but because of who he is in me and for me. That's the judgment seat of Christ. 
How will your name be called out? How will your name be remembered? How will your name be rewarded? God's not asking us to kill 800 Egyptians. At least I hope he's not. God's just asking, whatever it is that you're good at, whatever it is that your gift is, find out what that gift is. And it'll all work together under the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God because I couldn't take kids to church camp if Miss Cheryl didn't help me. I couldn't lead others to Christ if Miss Cheryl didn't help me. I couldn't do what I do without Brother Mark. We couldn't do what we do for our youth group without you being a part of it. Everybody that gets saved at church camp, everybody that gives their life to Christ, if you've donated, you've done a little bit, you will be rewarded and remembered at the judgment seat of Christ. But I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm competitive. I want my list to be like, bah, 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 bah. be like, Brother Mark, beat that. Come on. <laughs> I want you to want to beat me. Not because of who you are. But because if you don't do it, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And there's people that will bust hell wide open because we love the Savior part, but we forget about the Lordship. We serve a God who gives us unmerited salvation, but he does not give us unmerited rewards. Amen. Well, I'm going to make this real simple this morning. This invitation is going to be real simple. Because Brother Martin, that, that message was for me this morning. Uh, I'm just going to sit here and be real honest and vulnerable with you this morning, okay? Pastoring people's hard. Discouragement is easy, amen? Uh... And whether I realize it or not, many times I connect my self-worth and how I'm doing based on how you're doing. And so sometimes when I don't see the commitment and I don't see and we get here on a Sunday morning and there's so many empty chairs and we say, where is so-and-so and where is so-and-so, I let that discourage me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's just two preachers being real with you, all right? Whether it's right or whether it's wrong, we connect ourselves sometimes to how you're doing. And quite honestly, sometimes you're not doing real well. And then we, we tend to take that personally. I just said you're my mighty warrior, so you're here this morning. Yeah. And we're I'm preaching to the choir because you're the ones that are here, not the ones that are not here. But... It's real easy sometimes to just base what's going on based on what everybody else is doing. And sometimes you just you look at it and you say, Lord, maybe I'm not the one that ought to be up there. Maybe, maybe I'm not doing anybody any good. Maybe I'm not leading people the way they need to be led. Why is so-and-so not here and why is so-and-so? And we just, we base it on, you know, we base our self-worth on what everybody else is doing. And uh, it's hard. Because sometimes we're not David and we're not standing when nobody else wants to stand with us. 
and we're not grabbing the weapon when we know we're the only ones grabbing the weapon and running. And it's hard. It's easy to become discouraged. I am admitting to you today, I'm easily discouraged. Pastor in people's heart already, and then you get COVID, and then you get summer, and everybody's gone, and some people walk out the door and say, I'll see you in September, and that's discouraging, and that's, well, where's everybody at? What's everybody doing? Why are people not as committed to the Lord? And, and then we take that upon ourselves. And then I'm reminded of David. I'm reminded of Noah who preached for almost 100 years for people to get right and get on that boat, and nobody listened. And I'm just admitting to you today, that message was for me. I'm discouraged. I'm discouraged. I'm just going to open it up. Brother Martin admitted he's discouraged. But I'm going to ask him to stand up since he's the preacher today. I'm going to ask you, if, if you're discouraged today and you just need somebody to pray over you, come sit with me on this stage. If you're discouraged today and you just need somebody, and Brother Martin, I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you to be the one to pray over us, okay? <laughs> Even though you are admitted. If you're discouraged, just come on up here. Just be honest. Nothing fancy today. Nothing fancy. You sure can. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And Brother Martin, I thank you this morning because that's what that's what I needed to hear. Maybe it's what you needed to hear yourself this morning. But uh, we're fighting a battle here, y'all. And uh, we just got to get up every day and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to battle. I'm fighting. Doesn't matter if anybody else is doing the right. Doesn't matter if anybody else is doing it. Doesn't matter if anybody else is committed. Amen. So we just go in today. I'm going to ask Brother Martin to just pray over all of us sitting here that we're discouraged today. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. We just come to your altar with our hearts wide open, Lord, and just asking you to do a new thing, Lord. We pray that you would do a new thing that we've already seen before, Lord. We know that you're the God of the valley. You're the God of, uh, of the mountaintop. And, Lord, being on the mountaintop is so easy, Lord, but the valley sure can get tough. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just bring new life to everybody here, Lord. Lord, just bring your wisdom, bring your fire, Lord, just like the song says, set a fire in our souls that cannot go out, Lord, a, a fire that just doesn't make sense, Lord. Lord, in order to be an encouragement, Lord, we need somebody to encourage, and in doing so, we'll be encouraged. So, Lord, I pray that this week you put before us, in front of us, people that need to hear your word, Lord, that need a tender hug, that need a, a, a reminder that you are God all alone, Lord, and you are God and you are good. Even when we don't feel like it, Lord, let us praise you. Let us live a life of gratitude, Lord. Let us be the light that casts shadows on the people that are hurting in this world, Lord, and that through us, somebody may come back to you. Through us, somebody may come to your saving knowledge, Lord. And by being an encouragement that we can be encouraged as well. Lord, we just thank you for your message this morning. And Lord, we just want to be able to be a light for you in this world. 
Watch over us. Give us peace. Give us understanding. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Uh, don't forget, we need to get some strong men to help Miss Ginger move uh, that crib, if you would. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed.